folks, the church, I tell you what, the church, we have entered into an incredible season of what God is going to do. It doesn't feel like it. It doesn't look like it. But this is an incredible season that God is using His ecclesia to arise. We must, we must understand that what we're walking through now is all about training. It's, the training's painful. Eh? It's hurting. There's stuff that's hard right now. And it does hurt. The muscles burn and the lungs are sucking hard there when you walk up those stairs. <sighs> but actually it produces something in due time. You see, there, we's right in the beginning, and I keep reminding and saying there was the chaff and wheat word that came out right in the beginning of lockdown. Chaff and wheat, you know how they do? They throw up the, the wheat and the chaff, and the chaff is blown away, and the wheat all lands on the floor, and then they take that and they grind that and they make flour. There's a separating that takes place. I've known many people whose love has grown cold in the last 20 months. Comfort and uh, convenience has been their Lord, honestly, over this last season. We're already seeing it starting to play, take place. The chaff and the wheat is happening. We don't give up on anybody. But people in their own heart and drive, the desire is not there to live for the things of God and to press in. And now we're in this time of the valley of decision. You know, decisions for the kingdom first, like there, that finances. Are you going to go after the finances or are you going to hold on to relationships? Kingdom thinking first. This valley of decision, the time we're living in, how our decisions will make effect to what the rest of our lives and things that play out and come for. Decisions that set my heart on course for what the Lord is doing not what I desire, what I want in my life. There was one line in the song there, you know, a lot about I give you everything this morning. Give you, give you, give me. I don't want that, I want you. That's where he's pushing us to. Because in him, no matter how busy you are, no matter how life is, no matter how much pressing in, Jesus is the only thing that will satisfy you. He's the only thing. He's the only thing that will satisfy your soul. And make you, it's nice, sorry, to see Lana as well. Lana has been very ill of late as well, but it's great to see you. The first time she's been back here and that, but how's your soul feeling after time of worship, eh? Yeah, it's the body that's catching up. Exactly. But you see, it's the soul that gets restored and refreshed by the things of God, okay? And the requirements of the believer in this era is no longer being a churchgoer. You don't go to church now anymore. That's not, that's not what's required of us, Okay? The, 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 the part, it's far and far deeper, and what God is doing with us now, He's teaching us what it is more and more to be the ecclesia, to be the church. Not, we, we couldn't go to church, and then we questioned this thing, how it all worked out. This era has built a lot into our hearts and lives. We're starting to learn what Jesus first wanted when He spoke about the ecclesia. All this other stuff that goes on in churches, even the stuff we have here today, there's no order that the Bible writes about, we have to do it. Are people feeling connected and hearts alive in the things of God? Not how brilliant preachers are, or how good the worship is, or what. It's none of that. It's the heartbeat of people feeling connected into a body. Cononia, fellowship, together. That's what Jesus is teaching us, going back to these things that what he has said about uh, right from the very beginning. And these next, as I was saying last week, these next seven years, and I'm talking to you a little bit more now, we've got ahead of us of what God's saying. Grab hold of what I've spoken to you about. And walk into it with full confidence and where I'm leading you. And it's going to involve all of us. All of us will go on this journey. Because the verses that are spoken to last week, and I'll just touch on them again, and I want to build on that a little bit more, was Matthew 21, verses 12, and it's further down there. It says, Jesus, in the, when he tips all the tables, says, It is written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. But you have made it a den of robbers. Meaning you're not doing what I see this supposed to be. And now it's not the house, it's not a building, it's the people. We are the household of God coming together. And that's cited from Isaiah 56, where it says, We make them joyfully into the in my house of prayer. It speaks about, um, for my house shall be called the house of prayer for all, for all peoples. Meaning, and he says that I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. Meaning the Gentiles weren't even added into the picture yet. We were going to be incorporated into the big plan that the Lord had set in place. That all will come together, the household of God, and they will be a household of prayer. Okay? Prayer. And we're going to be journeying on what that looks like in, the, in this community. Sorry. Um, and then also he speaks about that same passage in Mark 11, 17, and then Matthew 26. With Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he asks his disciples just to pray with him, and they fall asleep, and he says to them, Watch 
and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. When you're climbing those stairs, what's crying at you? Your flesh. You've got every desire to get to the top, but it's hurting. So you have the choice when your flesh cries louder than your desire to, to accomplish something, your flesh says, oh, stop. And then you give up. And then you don't get to the top. You don't achieve what you were supposed to do because your flesh cries louder because it's weak. But yes, the spirit is willing. And another verse is at Habakkuk 2, verse 1, where it speaks about, I will take my stand, I will stand as watch, my watch post and station myself on the tower, look out to see what the Lord will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And he says there, And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so that he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time, it hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems, low, if it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. So we need to stand. We've learned to stand. We need to position ourselves in this time. We need to watch and hear what God is saying to us and how we respond to what God is saying to us is key. So last year, uh, last year, sorry, last week, I shared into the seven-year cycles that the bay has gone through, and we have now walked into our fifth seven-year cycle. And as I said to you, the 10th of October, we kind of walked into that, but all of heaven was watching what this community is doing, and I'm enlightening us to what God is saying to us as a leadership that we need to grab hold of and catch what God is speaking to us as we walk these next seven years out according to what He said to us, okay? And the mandate's lying ahead of us. And I, we, we, we answered the question, why, last week? Why? why? Why is what God is saying to us in regards to prayer? Because those Acts 2.42, the four things we spoke about, the apostles' teaching, fellowship, kononia, the breaking of bread, and prayer. Those four key essentials to the church. So why prayer? Why? And we went through that last week, speaking a little bit about answering the why. Because Jesus said, my house will be called the house of prayer. And all ecclesia will make up this household. Okay, why? Because God has spoken to us as a leadership. Do we ignore it and we choose our own thing? Then we will see the true decline. We know we're not in decline. We know we're fighting right now for something that's bigger than beyond us. We're not in decline. We're not just holding on and hanging on by a thread. No, God's preparing us for what's coming for us in this time. Okay, because God has spoken to us, there's something unique on what God is calling the bay too. And you might not sense that, you might not feel that, you might not even think that, but we as a leadership know that. God's called us to be a model and to lead things in the city. From things like Sozo, from Siakula, to what we're establishing now through God's prayer, I don't know any other church community that's doing what we're doing. And I'll share a bit more with you. And it's not a, ha oh, we got it right. God is doing something with us as a people and showing us which way we need to go. You see, when, when animals know it's time to migrate, if you ever watched programs of the Serengeti, and that they're beautiful, and Africa, and up there, and the animals will be grazing, they'll be grazing, and then they'll look up. And they go, it's time. And they migrate, and they move. We've got to have that in our spirits, going, it's time. God's saying, awaken, arise, and we go with what He's saying, and where He's leading us, not what you want, and not the flesh crying out loudly, no, I don't want to do that, I can't do that. We go with where the Spirit leads, and guides us, okay? And this season we're in now is not... And why are we speaking about this? Because it's not an individual thing anymore. Your individual little prayer life and your own little home and your own little things, that's all good. But God's calling the corporate church to arise and to awaken in this day and this hour that looks like a corporate gathering where the power of God manifests and corporately we hold things together. Okay. Because, why? Because prayer is the foundation of the church. And if we've got to be very honest with ourselves, the church hasn't been very good in this area of corporate prayer. Like I said last week, we all hold on to that verse in Matthew 16, where two or three are gathered, there he is in the midst. Oh, sorry, Matthew 18, there he is in the midst, because we're disappointed that more people didn't arrive. And gone are the days, I've said it last week, of boring prayer meetings. And I want to remind you, okay, when we say boring prayer meetings, God is not boring. So who's boring? Who's the common denominator there if it hasn't worked? It's us. Okay, God's not boring. He's full of life. He's full of action. He's ready to go. We need, we need to respond to what He's saying right now in this day and this hour. So I want to ask you a question as I walk into, as we're going to answer the how and the what a little bit this morning. And honestly, this journey we're going to go on is the next seven years. 
You're going to hear this thing over and over and over again until we all catch it. Because God said it. It's not because this is the next big program where you're not like set up now. Hey, guys, we found something that's going to work. I tell you what, I read this book and the seven steps to this. Rubbish. God spoke. And now we've got to respond. And your flesh will cry out. Your flesh will freak out. I know all that. But God's leading us and guiding us. So I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you have, what are, let me answer this way, what are the non-negotiables in your life? You like that question? Thanks, Robin. What are the non-negotiables? Okay, so some non-negotiables for me in my, my world, okay, I will never drink beer and wine excessively to get drunk. It's a non-negotiable. I will never hit Kathleen. Okay? Amen. Thank the Lord. What would you say? Yeah, she hits me. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Fair, fair enough. Fair enough. Okay? So when my mom got married to my dad, she just assumed they'd get divorced. Because that's what she was modeled with her mom and my gran. She just thought, oh, we get divorced. Then she got saved, and she's like, oh, wait. It became a non-negotiable. We will never get divorced. It wasn't even an option. No. Whatever we go through, we will never, ever, it won't be an option. Okay? So think about it. What are the non-negotiables in your life when it comes to the ecclesia, when it comes to prayer, when it comes to finances, what are the non-negotiables? If you don't have any non-negotiables, you need to start working on some. Because they are foundation to what you believe and how you live. If you don't have a foundation that's built upon the Word of God, you will be flimsy and you won't make decisions. You'll be like, uh, well, you know, and if it's a non-negotiable, you'll say, no, this is it. So now all these debates going on around the world with all these issues that we're dealing with, they're non-negotiables. No, we don't believe that. This is what we stand to. Okay? So think about it. Just So we're talking about prayer. Imagine if prayer was a non-negotiable in your life. You'd probably commit to it a bit more. If reading the Word of God was a non-negotiable, I will read the Bible. Every day I try to read a few chapters of every single day. I read through the Bible every day, not to try and find sermons, not to try, I just read the Word, just read the Word, all the time, just letting it fill me, letting it feed me. It's a non-negotiable in my life, okay? So think about that. What's a non-negotiable? Okay? And as I say today, we're going to talk about the how and the when and the what when it comes to prayer. We've answered why. We know why. Jesus said, my house is called the house of prayer, foundation of uh, prayer is the foundation to the church. So what is it going to look like? How are we going to do this? What's this what's going, how's it going to play out? What's going to happen? When? So I want to take on a bit of a journey that, we've, that I went on at the beginning of this year, and as a leadership, we've caught guys up. In February, we gathered. And from the, from the 1st of January this year, I, I linked onto a group of friends that I've known for years, and they did a 21 days of prayer and fasting online called The Global Watch, and they did it every morning at 6 o'clock, and every afternoon at 3 o'clock from the 1st of January to the 21st of January. There were a few of us that jumped in there together with it. But now it was locked down, so the, and the kids weren't going to school because things had been extended there. We weren't having church meetings. So it was brilliant. I was on at 6 every morning, and most 3 o'clock, because we weren't going anywhere, I was on these calls. And uh, it just started building a rhythm into my life. I was like, wow, it was beautiful. From the beginning of the year, then I'd go and... I'll go and do exercise. I'll go and we, the call's from 6 to 7 in the morning, and then the kids and everybody up, and I'll go and walk down to the beachfront from our place and walk around. And I've been doing that since the beginning of this year. It set a new whole rhythm, another whole rhythm into my world, into my life. And so it got me thinking at stuff that I knew, people that I'd heard of, things that I'd heard of, and got me thinking and, 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 and reading up a lot about the small group of people in Germany in a little town called Herdut. And who's heard of von Count, what's his name, Count, um, Count Nicholas Ludwig von Zinzendorf? Okay? Who's heard of that guy? Okay? He was the guy that started the whole Moravian movement and churches, which still runs today. Now, we're talking early 1700s. And I was intrigued. I know this story. I've read it many times. But I felt God saying, just go back. Just have a look. Just read up what these people did. 
and what happened in that little community that changed the world, that little group of people. And so I started reading up on stuff and asking people for papers, and there's an opportunity with this group of people through Global Watch to actually go to Hörnhut next year and to be in this place, in that little town where all these things started 300-something years ago. And uh, yeah, it's just over, just under 300 years, actually. And so let me just give you a little bit of history about Count Zinzendorf. Okay, he was a count, so he was very wealthy. His parents were very wealthy people. And he bought a piece of land from his parents in this little place in this town called Hörnhut because there were lots of refugees that were coming from different nations that were under pressure with a lot of Christian kind of pressures that were being put on in certain nations, and they fled their nations and then joined and started having building a little community in this area called Hörnut. The word Hörnut actually means the Lord's watch. Okay? But what happened in this community, there was a lot of disunity, a lot of fighting, a lot of disagreeing, a lot of opinions, all about theology, all about doctrine. Everyone knew what they needed to know, and they had no disunity and no working together, no agreement. Nothing was happening in that community. So Count Zinzendorf, who bought the land, who was helping these people, took initiative to actually set things in place, and he went and, and, he went and visited everybody. There was maybe a couple of hundred people, and he visited every household, and he got to terms with everybody, and made everybody start agreeing together and stop fighting with each other, because we'll never achieve anything. And he made everybody sign what, was, what they called the Brotherly Agreement on the 12th of May, 1727. He made everybody sign on the dotted line, stop fighting with each other basically and have agreement in your hearts. Because there was a line that Count Zinzendorf used to, that said, he says, there is no Christianity without community. There is no Christianity without community. So you take 300 years on what's been sold to us. The individual life, the self-made millionaire, the everything on my own. I achieve this all on my own. We're exactly the opposite when it comes to the kingdom of God. It's about community. There is no Christianity without community. So from this moment, okay, so from that time on the 12th of May, he got everyone to sign the brotherly agreement, and they would have meetings in the mornings, small community, and they would farm the land, they'd all those kind of stuff together, and they'd have different meetings. And they started meeting after that together, and then on the 13th of August, 1727, God broke in, and they encountered God in a way they've never experienced before, and God broke into that small little community, and they were changed, and God arrested them. He arrested their attention. Their desire to live was for one another, not for themselves. They started serving each other, and God gripped that community, and from that night on the 13th of August, 1727, they felt urged to institute and set in prayer. So they took 24 hours in a day, and they had 24 men and 24 women that each took an hour during the day, and they filled every hour, every single day for prayer. And that prayer meeting that started then in August 1727 went for about 120 years nonstop. So they died and passed on, but the legacy of what they did was continuing. And now if you find Moravian churches, there's still the legacy in Moravian churches. I was talking to another guy with prayer, and there's this Moravian church. I think it's out in, um, in Krabo or somewhere that way. And he says, these ladies are just steeped in prayer. The legacy's still there, 300 years later. Okay? And so they started this rhythm of prayer, small groups, from a small group of people, a few hundred people. But what happened? What happened with them was they didn't start doing this then hoping this is the goal. So from this we program of prayer now, this will start happening. They just did what God had called them to do. And you know that the Moravians became the, one of the greatest missions movements that have ever existed on the earth? Just from prayer. Just from committing themselves to the things of God and setting their own busiest schedules aside, it became a non-negotiable. We choose this. Not to choose what we can get out of it, we live in that world today. Well, I give this, what are you going to give me now? And I give that, then I need something else. No, just give. Give your time. Give your resource. Give to God and watch what He adds to your faithfulness. So there's stories of men who we all know, like a guy like William Carey, who was involved in the big missions movement. And he, there's a story of him kind of slamming this piece of paper on the table one day and saying, guys, 
Can you not see what these guys are doing in the Baptist kind of union at that time? These guys are sending missionaries all over the world. What are they doing that we can't get it right? So stirred by the small little group of people that challenge people about mission. One day, John and uh, Charles Wesley were traveling from England to America on a boat. And uh, this is, a, this is a, a note written in John Wesley's diary as they were traveling across um, the Atlantic. Okay, on the 4th of March, 1738. This is what Wesley wrote in his diary. And at 7, I went to the, the Germans. That was the, the Moravians. I had long before observed the great seriousness of their behavior, of their humility. They had given a continual proof by performing those servile offices for the other passengers, which none of the English would undertake. They were serving people that no one wanted to help on that ship, on that boat going across, okay, for which they desired and would not receive no pay. They were getting nothing out of it, saying it was good uh, for their proud hearts to serve other people on this ship. And their loving Savior had done more for them, and every day had given them occasion on showing a meekness, which no injury would move. If they were pushed, struck, or thrown down, they rose again and went away, but no complaint was ever found in their mouth. Here was now an opportunity of trying whether they were delivered from the, right, from the spirit of fear as well as from that of pride, anger, and revenge. And in the midst of the psalm, whenever the service began, the sea broke over split the main sail in pieces. Now they were in a storm and the boat was looking like it was going to sink. So what happens? Everyone's freaking out. And everyone's panicking and worrying about it. Now he starts writing about these Moravians and how they responded in that situation. He says, that, and split the main sail in pieces, covered the ship and poured it between the, deck, the decks as if the great deep had already swallowed us up. A terrible screaming began among the English. That's what's going to happen to them next Saturday when we play them in rugby. Coming for you, Andy. Coming. Okay? And when all the screaming and all this pandemonium is going on, the Germans calmly sung on. And I asked one of them afterwards, were you not afraid? He answered, I thank God, no. I asked, but were you not your women and children afraid? And he replied mildly, no. Our women and children are not afraid to die. And that's Wesley who, who did incredible exploits for the things of the Lord. Prayer, prayer does something in your own heart, about your position before God, but not on your own. Yes, it establishes your, your communion with Him. That's beautiful. But the Lord's prayer is in plural. You know, it's always about forgive, not me, my sins. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It's plural. It's us. Together, that's what Jesus was saying when he's saying to pray these things out. So a few things from this story struck out for me. And God was really speaking to me in the January time last year, this year. It seems like last year. It was this year. And what I realized in this process with these people was like, prayer wasn't a program for them. It wasn't something they added to their church busy schedule to try and make it happen, okay? To try and maintain something. This prayer stuff came from a place of encountering Almighty God. And he placed it in their hearts as a revelation for them to desire and live after him. Okay? What happened in that community, their opinions about all theology and doctrine didn't count. It was creating more trouble. The opinions of people didn't count, but they found agreement in the spirit, and what they started doing was serving one another. So I'm accountable to you, you're accountable to me. And we'll do this together in serving each other. This is the model the world has yet to understand and see, but the church and the ecclesia are carrying the answers when it comes to this. And you know where this stuff is brewed in our hearts? When we pray. When we come together before the Almighty God and speak, our hearts collectively speaking to Him. Okay, the priority of prayer, okay, was not for them, wasn't with a goal in mind of like, well, if we do this, we'll get that. Okay, like I'm saying to you earlier. No, this place of commitment to prayer and accountability and commitment to each other, their hearts were gripped by the Lord's heart, and from that place, they went to the nations of the world. And I've heard stories of guys that almost they were, they were selling themselves into slavery to get into the West Indies. They wanted to bring, bring the truth of the gospel. They were so convicted by the truth. Now we say that today, it's so foreign to us. Well, well how am I going to survive? 
How will, how will I live? I mean, I, I, I don't earn a salary. I mean, we are so bound by the world system, folks. And that system is failing, you and I, in every way possible. It's not normal that the world is in trillions of dollars of debt. Think about it. It's failed. It's not working. But we'll hold on to it. We'll hold on to it. Make it work. Make it work. God is doing something different in this era. Keep awake. Have your eyes open. See what he's saying and doing to us. That system will not sustain. And he's calling on a people that arise with a very different spirit inside of them to say, no, well, we don't worry about that stuff. God will provide for us. God will make a way for us. They sold their lives to the king and the kingdom. Gave it all up. And I know it's foreign to us. You can't see that now. But watch. Watch what God will do with us as a community as we start this rhythm of prayer together. So this 6 a.m. and 3 p.m. kind of rhythm started setting into me. And what I started realizing was that 6 a.m., 3 p.m. rhythm, and, and honestly, it just came, it came out of not on my face before God showing me. He often just speaks as I'm just going on with my day and I get clarity. Things kind of happen. And I was like, yeah, there it is. This, this is what we need to do. We need to start prayer watches. Prayer watches in this church community. We need to have people in small groups all over the place praying, praying, praying together. That morning, evening rhythm. There's something very powerful in that rhythm that we start. Some don't do mornings, some do evenings. And this rhythm starts working together. It will allow people to find a place during their weeks that they can actually, apart from the Sunday, can come together with people and pray. Okay, and I just brewed this in my heart more and more and realizing, okay, so the question then for people with our busy worlds and life and that, if you can't fit prayer and corporate prayer into your busy life, what are you doing? If Jesus said the thing that you're a part of called the ecclesia, the foundation of it is prayer and corporate prayer, not individual prayer, coming together. You're all sitting there. I can see a bit worried now. He's going to asking more of us. You're asking more of us. We're all at the end of our tether. Folks, I'm emotionally done. This last two years has sapped me. Because you know what? We were chatting with Anton Alon the other day and his eldership and realizing, you know what? All we've suffered in the last two years has just been loss. There's very little, little to celebrate. Yes, we're here. We can thank God. But just get reality of what we've walked through. It's been insane. But God's taught us to stand and to hold up because he's preparing for us. He's preparing us for what's to come. But if you can't fit prayer into your busy world, but you can make time to watch Verstappen beat Hamilton. Now think about it. We do that all the time. We choose that over that because it doesn't demand of me. Praise demands of me. I've got to, yes, you've got to engage spiritually. You've got to get your heart involved. And as we get a rhythm going, and you'll see how this will feed you, okay? And the reality of being a house of prayer, people praying together. God, how does this look? How does this work? Then the, the, the passage in Habakkuk really made total sense to me when you speak about write the vision down. And then it says there, it awaits its appointed time. Okay? It hastens to the end. It will not lie. Like I said to you last week, we as an eldership, and I've tarried for years with regards to this idea of life groups and home groups and never had an answer. And we just waited. Because it's waiting for its appointed time. It hastens. It will not lie. And if it seems slow, just wait for it. Don't create, you know, if we try to do things, and we had other things that we tried to produce for God's prayer, like I explained to you last week. What we're producing is Ishmael's. They're not what God has issued for us to do. And I know it seems obvious. Well, just do prayer. But if you don't have a rhythm and a revelation and an encounter with an understanding of prayer, it becomes a program. And I've had enough programs in church circles with friends and trying to explain to guys. And they can see they're going, other pastors, they're like, wow, that sounds good. He's thinking program. I'm like, but it doesn't come from a program. It's an encounter with God that you actually have a non-negotiable of prayer in your life and you commit yourself to it. Because you're not flaky and wakey and just uh, do what you want to do. You actually have a commitment to the things of God. And your life looks like it. And we put those rhythms in our place because it says, seems slow, but wait for it. Wait for it. It made total sense. I'm like, that's exactly it. We've waited. We've waited. We've waited. God, what is it? And the clarity just came. Because it says there, wait for it, for it will surely come, it will not delay. But it took years. It took years. Like Farnas says, when he gets to heaven one day, what's the first thing he's going to do? He's going to give God a watch. And said, four o'clock is not when you wake me up. 
to pray. And also, if you could do things a little bit quicker sometimes. <laughs> and work to the clock here. Hey? But it teaches you something about trust. When you just lean into Him, and you're not trying to produce something to impress the people. Oh, wow, wow, that looks impressive. Wow, that's good. I don't get your hearts, I get your mind. The church has all been about this thing here. It's actually all about experience in the heart. And living from that position. Sure. Okay, do not, it will not delay. So it feels, honestly, as leading this community with an eldership team, it feels for the first time I have got such vision for these next seven years. Because you know what all we need to do is get this right. Don't try anything else. Just get this right. That's what God's saying. And like, awesome. The rest will happen. We'll have all sorts of good happening. Things will play out. Everything will roll out. But this thing of prayer will set, up, will set us up for what God has got in place for us. And watch, all the other things will flow as we start this rhythm in Habakkuk. And the reality for me, guys, I've journeyed with this idea of prayer and worship and the burn, all these things, for about 11 years. And like, it's almost like the clarity of what I saw for our community was hidden in plain sight. It was there in front of me the whole time. But I was like, now I get it. It was the right time. And God's like, now you walk it through. This is, this is what I want you to do for your next seven-year cycle. Set this in place. Not for what people think, not what you need to try and impress and do with people. Rally a people to pray. I've got such to a point where we are, you know, believing what God is doing for us. Who cares about out there right now? We need to work here. Yeah. We need to be together here. Yeah. And if we don't have anything here, it won't go there. Yeah. Okay? It's going to spill over. That, that word about the three vats was there's liquids flowing in and spilling over and flowing out. Okay? All right. And like I did mention to you about boring prayer meetings and just to say God's not boring. Okay? So this I shared with our leaders at the end of February. And we broke our 21 days of prayer and fasting together at the end of Feb. And I put it to our leaders. I said, guys, this is what we're going to do. This is what we feel God's saying to us. We're going to leave together. There was not a... It was not a, in the room of, ah, nah, sounds like it's going to be too time-consuming. There was a yes in the room. The time was right. So what we've been doing as leaders for the last kind of seven, eight months is we've had prayer watches running in the background of this community. And you've seen me at different times, like, want to speak about this a bit more and what it is. This conversation is going to keep going as the years go by. So we've got 12 prayer watches running in the background of this church community that happened from a Monday night to a Friday evening at 8 to mine at 6 o'clock in the morning on a Friday morning to guys that do it mid-morning mid on a Thursday morning, lunchtime on a Thursday, all different times of the week. And most of them are happening online via Zoom or WhatsApp. And there's a few that gather together and meet. Everything's possible right now. But what God has shown us over the last 20 months is that you don't have to try and race and run around everybody. Just jump on Zoom and pray together. It actually works. And I know some people don't have all the internet in the world to kind of get that, but that's not going to hinder us. Now we're going. So what's this given us? And what did this prove to us? Okay? And it proved, okay, that we need to understand these rhythms, these new rhythms in our weeks. Okay? It's invasive at first. Because you're so busy with your own rhythm. And you add this thing in. It's like, jeepers. When we first started, a few of the guys forgot about it totally. It's like, oh, shucks, did it happen? Yeah, sorry. Because it wasn't a rhythm. And that it becomes a beautiful rhythm in your life of prayer. Okay? So what it means is that we all, and if I cast my mind further forward, say let's say in five years' time, well, let's be generous, say like two years' time, and we've got 40 prayer watches running through the life of this church. This is, this is, this is what encourages me now. Firstly, we're praying. It's not about running to meetings. It's smaller groups of people that are on once a week at a certain time. You commit to that time and you're there because you're accountable to one another because prayer is a non-negotiable. So you prioritize it in your busy worlds. You can't add it in afterwards. No, it's number one. And then you go to work. I mean, bless Ryan. He always does. He does it from his office in the mornings. He leaves at half past five in the morning. Roxanne, does he wake you up when he leaves? Yes. Okay. That's fine. But we, they made it work in their lives. And this priority that sets this rhythm, this beautiful rhythm place, I can see, I can see it happening. Now this is the thing. So now during lockdown, when there's all this pandemonium about all this looting and that carrying on, what does the church do? Oh, we need to pray. We call emergency prayer meetings. 
And everyone comes to the emergency prayer meeting because there's chaos in our land. And everyone arrives. And two months later, no one comes to the prayer meeting because there's not an emergency anymore. Wishy-washy, man. And it's this constant reactiveness to what the enemy is doing. Oh no, he's doing that. Let's pray. Well, why won't we praying first and actually be in the position of prayer? Okay, so why don't we be reactive and be ahead of the enemy and be like watchmen? Sorry, proactive. Pro. What did I say? Reactive. Let's be proactive. Thank you for that. Ahead of the game. Not when the enemy shouts and he carries on and everyone freaks out because those emergency prayer meetings never sustain. 94, remember that time in South Africa, we marched the streets, we walked, everyone praying, it went down. I spoke to pastors. They know, they know what's happening. Everyone's here now, but in two months' time, I'm not going to get them to this meeting. Gone are the days of boring prayer meetings. So what we do, by each one of us being positioned on the wall of prayer, watching out what God is saying, we're ahead of the game. So it's as simple now to put a, a message onto our core leaders group, say, guys, in this week, if you could please be in prayer regards our community. We've got a number of people that are down sick. We want to pray over them. We want to speak life over them. We pray into the things of our nation. We're ahead of the game. And if the church, this is what we lost and we lacked when it came to these last 20 months. We were in our own praying, but we weren't collectively agreeing and praying corporately what God has done for us and speaking the truths out of what He's already saying to us. You see what God's given us? He's given us a rhythm now that is going to set us ahead of the game. We'd be proactive what God wants to do. Now, the thing is also these things, what, these, what they give to you, it becomes a sacred place. See, Sunday is a sacred moment of coming to church and being with the ecclesia to worship together. It becomes sacred in your heart. So you actually don't make the choice to go to the beach first. You're like, ah, the beach. You always choose this first because it's sacred. Man, I, I, love, I love coming together and worshiping. Even if I wasn't working for the church, I was committed here. Because I love it. Because it's something beautiful in my life. But now the sacred place is not about where you go. The sacred thing becomes the people. It's sacred hearts that link together and unite. And then you feel people's pain. You feel people's journeys. That you feel life together. But the important thing, folks, is when you gather, it's not social. It's not counseling. It's not advice to everybody what they need to do with their lives. It's prayer. And we do now, different guys share different things. We take a turn to kind of lead the meeting and they share something, five or ten minute devotional of what God is saying to them and then we pray. And a number of them, we've spoken together, like too tired, thought of coming. Even my own, are like, jeez, I'm just tired this morning, man. Get up at 20 to 6. Okay, you get going, do all the right things, coffee, all those things, get, make it happen. You're feeling tired in your flesh. But not once, once we finish the prayer meeting that I feel tired and discouraged. I always felt encouraged. Because there's something about choosing that first and then it feeds you. And then you've got life for the day. See, there's these rhythms of these sacred places that honestly we've lost in our society. We go to church. We do the duty of that. God is teaching us, like I said, to be the church. That we respond from a very different place of prayer and coming together with the things of God and God's going to brew and build His hearts. I'm not asking any more of us. All I'm saying for this next season is prayer. Not, there, and then we're going to do outreach. We're going to do mission. We're going to do this. No, no, no. Watch that stuff come on its own. Without even trying to make it happen, God will just lead it to the next step. But we've got to prioritize this. We've got to put it as a yes in our hearts to say, we'll make it work out. Okay? And then in this place, we do truly start experiencing cornonia, true fellowship. Okay? And like I said, no panic running around pre-meetings. We're already praying. We're already positioned. And I just want to read some benefits of this, of a prayer. So, so what actually happened to me with this? These friends in the States that run the Global Watch, she's written a few books. And uh, so in like the March, on a call with them and talking, I said, yeah, so what we've done is we've kind of established this prayer watch in the life of our church now where our leaders, she was like, what? I was like, what do you mean, what? She's like, you've got a prayer watch in your local church. I was like, yeah, well, it's early days. We've just started with our leaders. Please write your vision down. I'm like, mm, okay, um, it's really f- formative stages, but I'll write down. So I used to sit in the mornings, the afternoon, I'll just write and write and write. And slowly it's like unfolded in my heart about what God was doing us with us 
See, the reality, folks, when you come to prayer movements, that's what happened in the last 15, 20 years, most prayer movements start taking place outside of the church. And they're a prayer movement that are praying and doing all sorts of things, but it actually is not the people. It's movements that go past us and beyond us. And they say, hey guys, this is prayer meeting online. Let's go join it. And three people come. Because it's not us. And they were, they were amazed that we'd started something. They, they've been in, they're in a big church in the States. And they were like, they've been on with their pastor for prayer for years and years and years. And they're like, you're onto something. I'm like, then I suddenly realized, I think we're onto something here. And not trying to be bragging and whatever. This is the model the church has lost, folks. Because we're busy with everything else, but we actually don't pray together. And so in this, she's written this book, and I've added stuff from what I've written, and she's placed it into a book with other guys' voices come about, and God's going to use this thing in the power of corporate prayer, and it's going to be modeled for people to see what it looks like and how it'll play out, okay? Uh, okay, I'm not going to go through those things. So remember now, we've got the next seven years lying ahead of us. We're not going to try and do anything, many else. Yes, things will always happen in the life of the church. But this is the first thing we're going to commit ourselves to. And watch the life. You know what I see happening? I see when we're in this room together, like on, a diff- on Sundays, and we'll have small groups and you all gather in your prayer watches just to pray together and stand together. Because church was not actually ever really meant to be this bigger and the building and all that kind of thing. It was, yes, it's become that. But the whole point of church was to be together and to pray and worship and all that Acts 2.42 stuff together in a smaller context. That's what it was built for. And in the bigger context, what happens is you guys that sit in the back rows there, you can come and sit. No one talks to you. No one bothers you. You come and you go and you leave and you've had no commitment to anything. And so I'm not saying the back because there's access in the middle and the front too. They do exactly the same thing. <laughs> all looks impressive in the front, eh, but, eh? Yeah. but you see, you can come and go without everyone knowing your name without even feeling connected to a community. And then we try and plug you into all sorts of home groups and life groups. And then the person that leads us actually is really annoying. You can't get on with them, but you're forced to go to that group and you like hate it because you don't like it. I know, I've been there, done that, folks. I promise you, it happens. But then you start knowing each other through prayer. And then this Sunday gathering becomes a celebration of what we've got going on during the week already. Now, are we, are we trying to hit it out the park and get this done before the end of next year? Not at all. This is going to be a rhythm that we're going to just help. We, have we got all the answers yet? No. But we're going to keep going with this. God's going to show us. He's going to lead and guide. And our hearts is that every single person will be plugged into some kind of pre-watch. Amen. Now, I know there's some of you in your hearts already going, I, I, I want to start one. I want to get it going. Let's just come talk to me. We'll see how this thing will play out. We are doing a database drive in January. And linked to our database is going to be which prayer watch you're a part of. And if you're not linked on there, we're going to help you. We're going to make sure we're all connected in prayer. If it happens on Zoom, if it happens on WhatsApp, if the church is open every Wednesday morning from 10 to 11.30 and people come and pray, yeah, there's going to be a commitment to one another. Yeah. And not this floating, and I come and go, and I do what I want, and I just do it on my own terms. That's what God's asking us in this era for the church. He's asking us to commit as the ecclesia, the true kononia, living and being together. And this is a culture that we're going to establish as this joint ownership and joint responsibility as we walk into these things. So I know some of your hearts are being stirred now and excited about this and how this is going to play out. We're going to roll this thing out slowly and it's going to keep working through the life of the church. So if you do honestly feel stirred, do you want to host a prayer watch during the week? Please message me and come and talk to me. Because we want to be able to grow this thing. If it's someone who's got young moms, uh, young, sorry, young moms and young babies. I suppose you get old moms with young babies, but that's a thing anyway. You know? But you know what I'm saying? If you want to gather moms. And what's happened at the moment, and I'm not, we're not kind of against it. It's men and women in separate groups, which is not a, not a bad thing. I'm not, I'm not baffled by that. It might be moms gathering together and praying on a certain morning. But every morning, every Wednesday, you will be there. But, uh, you know what, actually, we can't make it today. That, those days are over. Yeah. And it's talking to your flesh and saying, no, we're going to keep going, keep pressing in. And all some of you in this room are freaking out now. Because you're like, well, Frank, this is the next big thing, and I'm not so sure about this. And you're kind of sitting there, those are folks with their arms folded. <laughs> it's like, I've seen church programs before. I've seen where these things go, and the churches push you and push you and push you, and eventually become so tired of that same narrative over and over again. But unfortunately, uh, that's not that. 
the foundation to the church is prayer. And that's what we are going to go after and that God's going to lead us. You know our hearts here. We're not after programs, okay? Again, like I said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And people are fearful of commitment. Okay, this generation and the times we live in, people don't know commitment. Cape Town is the worst place. If you send an invite out, no one RSVPs. But they all just arrive. Like, didn't you say, see, we're teaching ourselves commitment, but honor and accountability one another. So now watch, I've got six men. We gather on this Friday morning at 6 o'clock. If someone doesn't make it, they apologize. And give reasons. Sorry, guys, there's just lots on the plate. I can't make it right now. Or they travel, something's happening. We're accountable to one another. We're watching each other's hearts. Yeah. Not a free for all. And you people are scared of that commitment because then oh, my life's going to be exposed. No, your life's going to only be enhanced yeah. by adding this stuff to your world and to your life. Okay, I want to read, finish this passage and then we'll finish there. James 1, 22 to 25 says this. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. Okay, deceiving yourselves if you just listen and then do nothing about it. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the way that God said in front of us, the law of liberty, and perseveres, there's a key word there, presses in, keeps looking, keeps going, being no hero who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Do you want to be blessed in your doing? And what we're speaking about now, don't just be hearers. We are going to help us all to be doers of what God is asking of us to do in this day and this hour. And just to finish with this, there's a very big difference between understanding something and having a revelation of something. You can understand the love of God, but until you catch a revelation of the love of God, it will change you. So you can have an understanding of prayer. It will be a head knowledge. It will be a theory. But yeah, no, we understand prayer, but you'll never commit to it because it's something cerebral. Yeah, no, I understand prayer, but you never do it. When it's a revelation and an understanding what God's got, what He's spoken to you, and we talk about prayer, the revelation sparks you, well, yes, yes, that's a part of who we are. You commit to it, and you want to do it. So we, over these years, are going to shift the understanding of the stuff into a revelation of what God has called His Ecclesia to be as the church. You see, because when we pray, we're not just hacking against the brass ceiling here and hoping for the best. No, we are the called ones called out to declare and legislate into the heavenly realms what takes place over this community and over the city. Are we going to be those people? And as we declare to the heavenlies, because we don't battle flesh and blood. We don't battle flesh and blood. But the, the rulers and the, and the principalities and the, and, the, and the rulers in the heavenly places, that's where our battle takes place. And we win battles in prayer. And Michael Cassidy, who led Africa Enterprise for, for years and, and part of some calls, that he's still part of it, he said this in 1994. And I might have said this here before. There was, on a day when he was now meeting with Mangosutuputulezi, Mandela, and all these guys, and there was war that was on the brink of breaking out, and people were praying. The people praying. He says, individuals don't break strongholds. Yeah. Corporately, the prayer of the ecclesia brings down the strongholds. And he says, there was on a day, he's like, we've won. He felt the shift in the heavenlies. He's like, we've won. Like, he felt the stronghold being torn down over this country of division and what God wanted to do, and what the enemy had in plan, and, the, and, and he felt it break. And we saw peace rail out through prayer, corporately. We as a community are going on that journey together. And God's going to show us, He's going to lead us, and He's guide us. And watch what will come of this. Watch. Watch what will come of this. The resources that will be poured out to us. The things we'll do. The mission we go on with Sozo, Siakula, Frekum, this air. All that's happening. The lives that's happening. Watch what God will do. Let's stand together. Can I want you to think about that question of what is a non-negotiable in your heart? in your life, because this is not, this is not games we're playing now. This is our, we're committing our lives to stuff. So Father, we come before you this morning, 
humbly saying, Lord, thank you that you are the head of the church, the ecclesia. We are your body. And we want to respond to what you are saying over us as your people, as your children that you're leading and guiding. And Father, in our hearts this morning, we say a yes in our hearts. We say a yes, Lord. We, we know the foundation of the church is prayer. And I, and I felt God say to me this morning as I was just pondering with stuff, and people would say, well, I don't know how to pray. I can't tell you how to pray. You learn how to pray when you pray. And just as you do it, you will learn. So, Father, we know that as we press into this, you will show us. You will lead us. You will guide us by your Spirit because you promised you will never leave us or nor forsake us. We are not going to be left out on our own. You've spoken to us. And as this community, Bay City Church, we say yes in our hearts to what you've got in store for us, Lord. And we commit ourselves to one another. We commit ourselves to you and your purpose and your cause. And let that yes in our hearts drop to a revelation of what you're speaking to us. That we don't cerebrally hear the word, but we now are doers of what you are saying to us. So, Father, we thank you that you've got great in store for us. We thank you that there's going to be breakthrough in hearts and lives of resources and finances and relational burdens and healing in their bodies. We know you are going to pour these things out upon us because you're a good father to us. And we rest in you this morning. We rest in your love. We rest in your word. We rest in your truth that you are to us. And we say that your blessing be poured out upon our lives as we walk into all that you've got in store for us. So we honor you today in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. 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 Have a blessed day. Those connection point guys, we will see you here this afternoon at four o'clock. Amen.